things going out there in uh, Western society, eh? How are things going out there tonight in uh, that great void of darkness there? Huh? Is the little group still together, the old gang? Huh? You feel those little tentacles of understanding and love extending from your little pad to the little pad 17,000 yards to the left and 14 feet above that little silent magnetic line of force that magnetic line of transistorized electronic love (laughs) would you like to find out that you're the only one listening the only one there's just me and you and there's no group at all would you like to find that out? <laughs> I got it. <laughs> hey, it can't be true. <laughs> All right, Fred. <laughs> There's others, right? <laughs> yes, uh, how are things going in the group? Of course, we have an insensate desire to be part of a group. I remember one time Miss Shields talked us into selling seeds. And about 17 kids immediately raised their hands and said they were going to sell seeds. Well, I have a terrible, terrible... Uh, it, it began... Uh, it must have been, I must have been six months old when I discovered I was the world's rottenest salesman. I am just not only not a good salesman, but I break out in a rash. When, uh, you know, when you, you, you come up... Do you remember? What was the name of that, of that comic who used to come on... And he had the big thing about being a salesman, and there was the scene where he would come up, and you would hear him coming up to the door. And he would knock on the door. He would go like this. There's nobody home. I hope, 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 hope. Nobody home, I hope. (laughs) Well, now, everyone, now, there was was such a a thing. Now, this this was a bit of true truth. I mean, like true truth. Oh, by the way, that is not redundant. Not at all. Truth comes in many styles today. And there's the true truth, and then there's just truth. There's instant truth. There's dried truth for use when you go out in the desert or places where you're going to have to, you know, carry it in a sack. Uh, there's the moist truth, which is sweetened. And then there's di- dietetic truth, which is locale. Uh, there's all kinds of truth. So the true truth is a little scary. But uh, I remember this guy used to appear, and he'd say, uh, 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 there's, 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 there's nobody home. I hope, hope, hope. <laughs> and uh, that's the kind of a salesman I automatically knew that I was. At the age of six months, I broke out in a, in a terrible sweat. I didn't even know what the word meant. I didn't even know what it meant, but I knew that I was not it. Well, I was about in second grade, and the terrible desire to be in a group led me into one of the great traumatic experiences of my entire life. I'm serious. It really did. Because, you know, the group does it. They just move. They'll do it. They'll, 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 they'll do whatever it is, you know. And, and, and uh, Miss Shields came into the class one day and she said, We have a, a very special thing today, children, for those of you who would like to earn a little money for the Halloween party and for our big class party and also would like to earn a little money towards buying a set of world books for the library. We're going to have a seed-selling drive. Well, about 45 kids immediately put their hands up. They were, you know, for the morning glory seeds. They were way ahead of their time, but they got their hands up there right away, you know. And, and uh, the next thing I knew, I am leaving 
the second grade classroom with a seed kit that included nasturtiums, morning glories, that included peonies. I was very big on peonies, hollyhocks. I was also very big on, on a miniature chrysanthemum guaranteed to grow in many beautiful multifarious colors. Uh, well, I, I left there with a kit. Now, the kit also included with it instructions on how to use the kit. It told how to approach a prospective customer, a prospect. The first, of th the th first thing it says, assume that everybody wants seeds. It is very wrong to assume that you have to convince people to want seeds. You must go up on the porch and know that people want seeds. It is only up to you to uncover the latent desire to own seeds. Now, that's all it is. They all want them. Well, I didn't know what to do. Oh, it was a terrible thing. I got home, you know, with my kit, and I had all these things. There were 10 cents a package, I remember, and, and they, were, they came in these little, little envelopes and little things. And, and the first thing that happened, of course, is one of them leaked. I, I am not more than a half a block out of the school, and, and one of the peony things is leaking all over the place. On the bottom of my little kit, had a little handle. He carried it in, and the seeds are bouncing around. I tried to stick them back in the envelope, so I was already 10 cents down. Uh, just already bad merchandise. Well, I got home, and I, I, I put it on the dining room table. My mother was next door, and she came in, and she looked at that thing. She said, oh, no. She knew I had... <laughs> <laughs> it was beginning to start the business of selling the tickets, you know, selling this, selling that, selling the, selling the chances on the big mop they're giving away down at school or on the Ford or whatever. Oh, no. And I said, yeah, I'm going to sell seeds. Miss Shields says it's very easy. Well, that afternoon I began on my career, which has not yet ceased, I'd like to point out. Not yet has it ceased. I went next door to Mrs. Bruner. Big old fat Mrs. Bruner, and Mr. Bruner had not worked for like five years, and when he did work, he drank it up immediately. About the only thing that Mrs. Bruner owned was a complete set of used clothespins. And I and I, I went up on the up on the step, you know, right away. I start right next door. I bang on the door. Mrs. Bruner comes out and says, "Yeah, uh, Junior's not here." And I said, "Mrs. Bruner, would you like to buy some seeds?" What? Would you like to buy some seeds? Seeds? What kind of seeds? I said, well, peony seeds. Well, Mrs. Bruner's backyard consisted of large pieces of tin. It consisted of, of, of old tires. It consisted of piles of wood and a couple of things that were dead. And, and you know, it was very funny. She said, well, seeds? What kind of seeds? I said, peony seeds. I have peony. I have nasturtium. I have here morning glory. Look at these beautiful morning glories. She said, well, I'll think about it. Uh, you come back later. Well, now there's a nibble. So I turned around and I left. I went down the steps and I turned left and I'm about 15 feet away and I'm now knocking on Mrs. Van Hoos's house. Mrs. Van Hoos's husband ran away from her 37 years before. And Mr. Van Hoos was only a legend in the neighborhood the time Mr. Van Hoos was there. So Mrs. Van Hoos was, 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 a, was a very angry lady. And, and, you know, you don't think of uh, little kids, you don't know about these things. Uh, Tennessee Williams was only a rumor. And uh, so Mrs. Van Hoos, I knock on the door and I said, Mrs. Van Hoos, she said, what do you want? I'm a kid, you see. She never had a kid. What do you want? I said, uh, I have seeds. I don't want no seeds. Bang. Well, now I know, Mrs. Van Hoos, I'm sorry, I understand. I know now what it's like when a kid comes around and sells dreams and flowers and 
nasturtiums and stuff. So I, I, I pulled down my ear flaps and I proceeded next door <laughs> to the MDs. Well, I had to explain to you about the MDs. Now, that was another problem. The MDs had the only true juvenile delinquent in the house, in the whole block. This MD kid was, was fantastic. I'll tell you, you talk about precocious kids. Well, <laughs> I think MD, at the age of about four or five months, was already making some of the more Freudian experiments of the neighborhood. And he was about seven when already mothers of daughters were calling up. And there was talk of having to move the five-year-old daughter to the country. Well, this is the kind of kid this guy was, you know. So I, I, I come up, I come up, I come up on the steps and, and uh, I knock on the door. Mrs. Empty appears like the wrath of God. Mrs. Empty was used to people knocking on the door, and she says. Dick is not here, and he's not been here for over a month. He's visiting his grandmother in Indianapolis. Now, I don't care what your mother says. Tell her to come over herself. Oh, boy. So I turn around, and I go down the steps. Well, I, it is now, you know, it's getting a little... My, my, my little kit is getting heavy. I'm only in second grade, you know, and I, my seeds are dripping out, and my, my nasturtiums are dripping behind me, and they're getting kind of sweaty from picking them up and showing them. And now I am at the next house. Now, the next house, I'd have to explain to you something about the Staffords. I haven't talked about the Staffords, but Mr. Stafford was a mailman, and they were very mysterious. Uh, people who do things like deliver mail, very mysterious man, and they lived in a green-shingled house. Uh, the Staffords, among other things, belonged to a very peculiar church where they would gather at night in the basement and holler. Now, I don't know exactly what that was. My old man used to call them holy rollers. And uh, they were very straight people. Mrs. Stafford wore her hair. She had it plated, like with black stuff, and it pulled it right back. And there was a bun that was about the about the consistency of a brass doorknob. Well, Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. Stafford was a very very righteous lady. And Mr. Stafford was one. Of, he, I'll tell you how he looked. He looked like well, I, I remembered him distinctly. He looked very much like Stan Laurel. If you can imagine Stan Laurel after a bad a bad bout with uh, say a virus much paler than Laurel even looked, which was pale. So he would go out and he would deliver his mail and they would come back and they would read things together. I don't know what those things were. And once in a while, Mr. Stafford was a very embarrassing man in our neighborhood. Now that I think about it, he would stand in the street corner and give people little tracks once in a while. And it's very hard when your neighbor is giving you a track and he looks you right in the eye and says, have you prepared to meet your maker? Well, you know, that's hard to say to Mr. Bruner. Well, you know, he prepared different ways. There's a lot of ways to prepare to meet your maker. And Mr. Bruner prepared by drinking a lot of corn liquor. He knew he was going to meet his maker, and he wanted to be ready for it. Now, now uh, there are other ways. Mr. Oh, we could go on. You want to hear about Mr. Anderson, how he prepared? Well, Mr. Anderson prepared a lot of ways. One of the ways Mr. Anderson prepared was by stopping at Flick's Tavern every night before he came home and stopping then on his way home, stopping his Pontiac on the L&N tracks. He was not only prepared to meet his maker, he was figuring any minute now that he'd better go and have the maker come and meet him. He was waiting. But they always stopped them. They would push his Pontiac off the track. And so Mr. Anderson never quite did meet his maker. I suspect he's still out there at it. And I know he's still at Flick's Tavern. I've, I checked on that the last time I was home. Speaking of meeting your maker, this is WOR AM and FM New York. And particularly speaking of bad salesmen, I don't have any seeds to sell tonight, but we have the Volvo. And the copy says, have you ever kept the car for 11 years? Well, the Swedes do it. 
They make a compact called a Volvo, and it's driven an average of 11 years by those cheap Swedes before it's traded in. It's a fine motor car. And incidentally, no one noticed when the first Volvos were imported in 56, except Sharpies of car enthusiast types. But now the Volvo is one of the most respected of all automobiles entirely. As a matter of fact, one of the most respected of all foreign cars in the country. In fact, I know a guy once was run over by a Volvo, and, well, that's another story. <laughs> He'd been hit by three Gogomobiles, and nothing happened. The Volvo has him still in Mercy Hospital. However, be that as it may, the Volvo is a superb motor car. And one of the grimmest nights that I ever spent driving in a gigantic snowstorm was in a Volvo. And it was the only car in the eastern seaboard region, as far as I know, that made it. It's a great car. It's a Volvo. And you can find them at Rambler Freeport, Inc., West Sunrise Highway in Freeport, L.I., right? Back to work. See how rotten salesman I am? Oh, I know about it. I'm just terrible. You know, I'll tell you what happened finally with the thing. I, I get I get, I get, get up to this. You want to hear what happened at the Stafford's house? I'll tell you exactly what happened at Stafford's house. They were warming up in the basement when I got there. They always warmed up immediately before supper. I don't know what they did. I don't think they had supper. I think they broke bread. Uh, it's a very different thing. And, and uh, I'm, I'm knocking on the door there, and the door opens, and there is Mr. Stafford. Well, Mr. Stafford is one of the, he's a true track giver. You know, they kind of, you know, he's kind of a watery blue eyes. He has very thin, straight, combed back hair. And he wears cardigan sweaters, those kind of gray baggy kinds. And, you know, you know, uh, you know. And he wears a sort of a funny bluish checkered kind of socks and slacks that kind of hang brown slacks. These guys mix brown slacks always with blue and gray cardigan sweaters. Well, there, there is Mr. Stafford. And I knock and say, Mr. Stafford. Oh, you're the young shepherd, aren't you? I said, yes. He said, uh, what do you want? I said, well, I... It's very hard to talk to a track giver. I'm, I've always found that trouble, too. No, I can't... I, I really... I, I find it difficult to talk to drunks and people who hand out tracks. Somehow I think there's, there is a parallel. Uh, there's something that connects the two. And, and, and I said, well, Mr. Stafford, I, I, uh, I have uh, seeds... Uh, Miss Shields said that everybody likes seeds. Well, of course, he did. I, I, uh, now that I think about it, it's too bad I didn't have a line of mustard seeds. But he looked at me and he said, uh, what kind of seeds do you have? He's a very Christian gentleman. I said, I have these seeds. I have nasturtiums. And by the way, the Staffords, maybe good does pay. They were the only one in the neighborhood that had a terraced lawn and a garden. And so he says, what kind do you have? I said, well, I have, I have uh, nasturtium seeds, I have uh, 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 morning glory seeds and uh, peonies. Do you have any vegetable seeds? Um, I have uh, chrysanthemum and I have uh, button peonies. And uh, do you have any tomato seeds? Uh, I, I only got flower seeds. We we only have flower seeds. Well, I'm sorry. I get my flower seeds from the burpee people. Burpee people? The burpee people. When you get some vegetable seeds, come over. And that, he closed the door. Oh. <laughs> the burpee people. I didn't know, I didn't even know up to this point the principle of competition. The burpee people. 
somehow the burpee people are cutting me out. I never heard of this. Who are the burpee people? Any of you ever hear of the burpee people? Did you ever hear of the burpee people? Well, the burpee people undercut the entire second grade of Miss Shields that year just like a knife. Boom, like that. Boom, pow, just like that. Well, it's kind of kind of dark, you know, and I and I uh, by now I'm I'm slowing up. I am no longer wound up like with a spring. I'm going real slow, and uh, I I get down by the woods, and in the woods, uh, the Bee Gees lived, and the Bee Gees were a large Germanic family. They all had very wide faces, and uh, they had very wide faced dogs, and yes, and they were named Fang and Claw and names like that. And they lived in the woods. They did. They lived in the woods. And BG, oh, that's another story. We'll, let, we'll carry that one over for later. That was, uh, that's connected with the skull incident. But the BGs are living in the woods. And the, the girls, you know, they had about nine of these gigantic blonde girls named Brunhilde. You know, oh, they really did. They had names like Brunhilde, Siegfried, and, and all just wild chicks. And so I knock on the door, and a large dirndl girl came. Says, what do you want? And I said, the seeds, I have seeds. We don't want no seeds. Boom. Pow, this big girl. And with that, I could hear, ooh, ooh. Fang is going to town in the back. Ooh, ooh. And down the stairs I go, and I turn right. And by now, it's supper time. Well, I got home, and, and uh, you know, it's a funny thing. I, I came home with my seeds trailing behind me. I was leaving a whole long line of little nasturtium seeds behind me. You know, I could see them shining in the moonlight. And I, I come home, and I take my seeds, and I, I put them on the dining room table. My mother's doing nothing. She's out there stirring the red cabbage. And, and my kid brother's in the john. And, the, you know, it's home. It's time for supper and stuff. And I'm, I'm fooling around. I'm very depressed. And I don't know, you know, I, I, I'm failing the world book, people, and everything. And I, we, we want the world book for our own classroom. Every room should have a world book, you know. And I hear I'm lousing up already. No world book. We're going to have a rotten, lousy, terrible, terrible party at Halloween. There's not going to be any corn, candy corn, nothing. There's not going to be any streamers. You know, and then I begin to worry about the other kids. Obviously, maybe those other kids like Jack Robertson and Merle Robertson are out there selling like mad. You know, they're selling. I'm going to be failure. And already, I'm in the in the, in the living room and fooling around. And my mother's paying absolutely no attention. She knows I've been out with the seed, Ruth, whatever it is. And so finally, the supper's ready. The old man comes out of the basement. He comes in, sits down. I'm sitting there, and my mother says, "How are the seeds? Did you sell any seeds?" I said, "No." Well, I did not realize, never did I realize until that very minute, what kind of a life my old man must have had. Oh, boy, I'll tell you, that forever and ever and ever turned me away from the whole field of selling. I could never do it ever again. And, and, and I never realized until that moment what my father's life must have been like all of his life. Nothing to do with Willie Loman either, you know. Always there was on the wall, I remember, of his office, there was this big thing called the sales chart. Well, as a kid, I thought it was great because they had red ribbons on it. And, you know, and they had different guys' names like Zudok, Gertz, Shepard, you know. And I used to think, you know, I didn't, never thought that those lines were life and death to those poor clowns, you know. And represented like 15 million hours of defeat. Defeat, oh, fantastic defeat. I says, you know, and the old man says, what are you doing, selling seeds? And I said, yeah. He says, well, how'd you do? I says, well, Mrs. Bruner's going to think it over. 
Mrs. Broner's going to think, oh, boy, he knew the Broner's, you know. The, the, the Broner's, Mrs. Broner's going to think it over. Even at that hour already, we could hear Broner starting to yell. You know, he's falling up and down the basement stairs now. See, he did, what he did was in the basement, he made stuff out of raisins in between true drunks when he could go out and buy stuff. I don't know how he did it, but he made it out of raisins and apricots, <laughs> which they got from the relief, by the way. So Bruner's yelling and falling and falling up and down the steps, and, and Mrs. Bruner's thinking it over where the divine is thirsting. And I, 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 you know, a kid, he believes it. So he says, oh, she's going to think it over. Well, how many do you have? And uh, he says, Jill, let's, let's take a look at these. Well, it was the first, you know, our family was definitely a non-garden family. So, my, oh, definitely. You know, that there are dog families and garden families. My family was also a non-dog family. As a matter of fact, I come from a long line of dog kickers, actually. So, you can see how I, how I arrived here, you know. So, so, oh, yeah, you can't imagine Jack Parr kicking a dog for crying out loud. Well, you can me, you know that. I mean, a king, I'll belt him right in the chops. Well, so, uh, the, my mother always used to have one line about dogs that always fits. She says, they smell bad. Well, that's unmistakably true. You know, we had enough trouble with Uncle Carl without bringing dogs in to add to the jazz, you know. So, <laughs> you don't want to hear any more about this. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, I, I come from a very practical family. <laughs> she says, I'm tired of, of, of cleaning up after too many people around here. Why dogs? We had this Uncle Carl. He'd do all kinds of things in the basement stuff. So, well, we had that, too. We don't want to go on with that. But nevertheless, uh, my old man says, well, what about the seeds? Let me look at the seeds. And, and so I bring, I go out in the dining room, and I get the seeds off the dining room table. Why, which, by the way, I hate, to, I hate to bring one thing into the other, but the dining room table was also one of my great defeats. We had, we had gotten from somewhere, inherited, I think, a lace dining room tablecloth, a big dining room table, or lace, you know. They had dining room tables then, you know, big things with lace on them, see. And there was, a, there was always a, a, a bowl in the middle with, with used bananas and stuff there, you know. So that was it. That was a big thing. Well, one day, one fantastic day, which I do not even want to think about at this point, one enormous day, I spilled a half a bottle of India ink. Right on our lace tablecloth. Well, I'll tell you what we did. We had the only off-center bowl of wax fruit in the neighborhood. We had a bowl of fruit that would sit about three and a half feet to the left of center, you know, sort of over there. It covered up this giant blot. Well, I go out there to get to get the, the to get the seeds, and I bring them back in. And my mother says, "These are very interesting." And, and the nasturtium seeds are falling out of the bottom. She's looking, and we're all sitting around there with the with the red cabbage. She says, "These are, these. You mean you can grow these flowers?" And on the uh, on the cover, of course, of these gigantic morning glories that were about three feet across, you know, seventeen different colors. And uh, there would be uh, like like the, the nasturtiums. Oh, you couldn't believe the hollyhocks. Oh, the hollyhocks were thirty feet tall. You know, that kind of thing. Giant. Wild, red, purple, green, blue, white. So she says, that's very interesting. How much are these? And I said, well, they're 10 cents a piece. I had about 10 packages. I don't know. I may have maybe 10 or 12 packages. It, 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 the total investment was roughly a dollar and a quarter in my entire stock. And uh, that was at retail. I don't know what Miss Shields paid for them. So, so she looks at the very interesting in my old man says, well, what, what do you, how do you sell seeds? What do, what do you tell them? I mean, you know, I was a very definitely a non-seed neighborhood. I said, well, the, the thing here, and I, I took out the little folder. It says, everybody wants seeds. He says, everybody wants seeds? Well, my old man happened to, be, happened to work at, the, uh, believe it or not, he worked for a, a milk company. 
And you would believe that everybody wants milk, wouldn't you? Have you ever tried to go out door to door to sell people milk? Boy, more guys prefer beer. You'd be surprised. <laughs> there are more non-milk drinkers who, if told that everybody wants milk, would, would bust a gusset laughing, you know? So the old man says, you know, that's a funny thing. He says, that's what they tell us at the office. Everybody wants milk. <laughs> well, he, visions of Mr. Bruner are dancing in his mind, you know, trying to sell Bruner a half a quart of milk. You know, the ridiculous scene. So I says, well, everybody wants seeds. He said, I'll tell you what. He said, he said, go get my wallet. Well, the wallet was in the kitchen, up on the top, on top of the refrigerator. He says, go get it. It's back there. So I get it. And he says, here, how many are there? I says, no, there's 10, 12. And he gives me a dollar and a quarter. He says, is this enough now? He says, here now. And he takes, he takes the seeds. And I'll tell you exact home scene. He takes the seeds. He's got a handful of packages now. And he takes them across, throws them like cards across to my mother and says, here, you're always hollering about flowers. You always want flowers. You always say, I never give you flowers. Here's some flowers. Make your own. Here. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, it was a... Uh, to, 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 to carry it even further, if you want to hear the wild, and I, I couldn't, you know, I'd sold all my seeds. Somehow I felt like a real crook, a real cheat. But I learned a lot about salesmanship or the fact that I never could be one. And, and I had the dollar and a quarter, and the next day I go into Miss Shields, and there it is. You know, I plunk it down. Of course, Jack Robertson plunks it down. Merle Robertson plunks it down. Joss Way comes in, and he's only sold three packages. He, he had a cheapy old man. And everybody's plunking it down. Well, of course, it was obvious that everybody's family bought the seeds, now that I think about it now. But I pretended, you know, yeah, well, I went up and around. I went, I went up and down. I went down by Kennedy, you know. I was up and down by Cleveland. They were all asking each other where they went, you know, the Legion Hall one. Of course, uh, you know, nobody would admit that Uncle Fred bought them all. So my old man bought all the seeds. But I will tell you the final, the denouement of it. And then this, is, this, is the, this is probably, I came from a family that was totally, uh, totally urban. We have never, ever grown anything ever in our entire existence. We lived nearby where there were things like this. Well, about four months later, who do you think is out back of the garage? You guessed it. My mother is out back of the garage and she's digging. We had a, our backyard was made entirely of ashes. <laughs> and, and my mother is out there digging a hole in the ashes. She is clearing the ashes out from behind the garage. And of course, she's finding old tire irons and stuff. And she's, she's clearing the ashes out. And she has, she has made a little plot that's about as wide as the garage. You know, it's about six or seven feet wide and about four feet in the other way. And she has dug this out and she has planted our little things, all of the seeds. She planted the whole shebang back there in this little plot and she made a little fence out of string. Well, I, uh, to, to <laughs> incredibly enough, this stuff grew. We had, well, we had like three-inch hollyhocks which are very difficult. The new dwarf hollyhocks my mother created. She created, oh, by the one one thing she created, I'll tell you what she created, out of those original seeds, she created the morning glory scourge. The morning glories took hold like they were out of their skulls. They completely covered the whole neighborhood. They killed what little lawns there were. They killed seven trees. They went, uh, you know, their vines. 
Some of those morning glory vines went over four miles into the next county. They went over to Cook County, as a matter of fact. And of course, there was a county law about bringing uh, seeds across the county, all kinds of things. But she had a tremendous success with the morning glory. Well, my mother got the eye. She got the look in the eye. And since that day, because of my rotten seeds, my mother every year is out in the soil of Indiana trying impossibly to grow orchids. She buys orchid seeds because they never grow, you know. She's always trying to buy, oh yeah, she's trying to buy rare tropical plants. She's trying to buy all kinds of things which never, ever make it. She has the greatest supply, the greatest collection of crummy-looking, shaggy, rotten, smelly irises. You know, irises are very beloved by dogs and cats, for whatever dogs and cats do in irises. Well, my mother has, <laughs> she has the most fecund collection of irises that have been grown over a 15 year. But the point being here, that, that even to this day, that whole scene goes on and on and on. The, the, the chain reaction is incredible uh, of every ridiculous movement that we make in our lives. The irises are out there growing, and I, every time now, when I pass a salesman in the hall, Ed, without fail, every time now, I have that, that funny feeling down in the pit of my stomach. Yeah, and, 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 and here's what's worse. I have the feeling, somehow, I can't explain it, that somebody is going to sentence me to go back to do it again. Somehow, it's still out there, those doors, you know. Uh, uh, there's nobody home. I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. Nobody, nobody home. Nobody home. I hope, I hope. Oh, my God. He always sings. Raggedy music to his cattle as he swings. Back and forward in his saddle on a horse. Pretty good horse. Sink away to get all cut it out. I can't even sing. It's so sad. You can't imagine Willie Loman standing over the piano belting it out, can you? Belting it out. All right, Dave. sound goes on and on and on and you this that oh by the way kids uh, that that lecture will be filed under real education as opposed to the education that you're going to get you know the stuff that you're going to read you won't read about that i'm sure and uh and I suppose this is one of the reasons why everybody secretly empathizes uh, sort of uh, identifies with Willie Loman uh, in, a, in, a, in a crazy way, because nobody, nobody who, hardly anybody I know who sells anything really knows anything about what he sells. And furthermore, hardly anybody I know who sells anything really cares about the thing that he sells about. You know, that he sells. It's just the thing that he sells. Selling itself is kind of a ritual. It doesn't have anything to do with what you're selling nor who buys it. And so about the only way that a guy can sell is on his own being himself, you know, the way he is, how he, he comes on, the scene that he makes. Well, when you don't sell, they're not, they're not rejecting the nasturtiums. They're rejecting you, you know. They're rejecting your great big fat pearly teeth <laughs> and your beautiful rotten pockmarked soul. They're rejecting it all. And so Willie was aware of that. You know, Willie, Willie, Willie would come dragging back, and even though he, he always figured that the next week he would get the order. 
that they would love him finally. <laughs> and, 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 and he always knew underneath it all that he wasn't worth loving, which is even worse. Uh, which is uh, perhaps the greatest, uh, not really the greatest tragedy, the greatest reality. But uh, uh, it is no wonder that salesmen uh, drink heavily. Uh, I, I, I would be willing to bet that among all the various uh, professions that are pursued, I would be willing to bet that the salesman probably drinks more than any of the larger ones. Of course, there are a few little groups uh, that, that drink because of physical problems. You, have you ever heard the, the uh, have you ever heard the myth, Ed? It's not a myth, I'll tell you. Have you ever heard the story about painters drinking? I mean, house painters? And, uh, and it's, it's, uh, it's always reputedly because of the lead in the paint, and it makes them very thirsty or something. It does something to their, to their metabolism or something, and they have an insatiable desire to drink themselves out of their skull. Well, it's, it's terrible to have to realize, you know, to have to admit such a thing. But twice when I was a kid, I worked for house painters. And both times, these house painters, they never took lunches. I mean, like people take lunches, you know, like a sandwich. These guys would have thermos jugs full of gin. And, and uh, more than once, I never forget one time a house painter. I'm at one end of a scaffold and the house painter's at the other. I'm 14 years old and I'm going out with his daughter. And this house painter's at the other end yelling and hollering. And he had this great big paint brush with white paint. And he's, he's progressively getting bagged. And, and we were working one of these jobs where you work at night. You see, they don't do this in the daytime. It's only at night that they... And he always looked for jobs where he could work at night so he could get bagged, you know. And so that... I didn't know anything about this. It's Oh, it's terrible to find... To, to, to be going to, to work somehow, to find out things about the, the father of the girl you're going with. Somehow you usually invest this guy with great supernatural powers. I mean, he created this, this... This beautiful thing, you know, and you never think of your, your the girl you're going with coming home to a father who's yelling and hollering and breaking the windows and kicking the lamps over, you know. So, well, uh, you, you think this girl doesn't know about any of that stuff. Have you ever had the feeling that girls don't know those four-letter words, Ed? <laughs> Oh, boy. Uh, I mean, you, you, and, and you run through the subways very fast so they don't notice what's written all over the gala wine and all that. You know? <laughs> oh, I'll never forget one time. You wanna, you, I'll tell you one time. I, I'm, 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 <laughs> you want to hear the scene. You want to go all the way. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm with this girl, and, and uh, I hardly knew her, but she was a very impressive girl. And uh, I was trying to impress her. I had on my new Tom McCann shoes and everything, you know, and I was really going all the way. I was about 17, and we're in this bus. And uh, being a, a, you know, a very, very correct guy uh, at that time, I says, well, uh, you sit inside, and I'll sit on the outside here to protect you from candy wrappers and stuff, you know. And, and we're going on this big date. So she sits inside, and somebody had written the most fantastic thing you ever saw in your life on the window. <laughs> And I kept trying to draw her attention to me, you know, like I'd wiggle my ears or I'd show her how I could spit through my eyes or all kinds of stuff, you know. I'm trying to keep her from looking out the window. And I said, well, oh, there's a very bad neighborhood out here. There's nothing here. Uh, look at across. I kept pointing across the aisle, you know, to, so she would keep looking out of the other window. Well, of course, it finally happened. She sits there for about 10 minutes looking out at the scenery. And, of course, she had to look right through the sign. <laughs> It was a very funny feeling. For the rest of that evening, I felt somehow I had debauched her. I had taken her into this bus. But 
this this whole this whole business of uh, of the secret the secret world the secret the secret fears and the secret fears of, of the Willie Lomans. Well, uh, I remember one night I'm standing on on one end of the uh, the, the scaffold. We had one of these scaffolds, you know, that you pull up with the with the with the with the chain and stuff. So he pulls up the scaffold, and I'm at one end, and I'm a kid, you know, and I'm, I'm, I've got this two-week job with him, and and it, we both had these great big wide brushes. Uh, and we're painting. We're painting the interior of this place. It was a great big barn-like thing, like a big gym or something. And and he had this white paint. We had put a very thin coat on about three days before, and now we're putting the final coat on this thing. And he'd been okay for about three days. You know, it's funny how these guys have been okay. And so I'm over there painting, and I don't know what's going on. All I know is that the guy down at the other end, you know, he keeps he keeps opening his lunch bucket. Well, the next thing I knew, I'm getting paint on the back of my head. He's going like that with it. See, and I'm getting it on the back. Well, you can't say, hey, quit slapping the paint. This guy, you know, this guy's the painter. And, and he was always yelling at me up to this point to quit slapping the paint. He says, how much, you know how much that paint costs, kid? You know, I'm slapping it on the floor, so I'm very careful. So now I'm getting it on the ear all the time. Like that, he goes, he slaps it across on the floor. Everything. Well, I look over there, and he's standing on one foot. Well, it's very difficult, you know, to, to, to contemplate a painter who is about 40 feet above the ground standing on one foot with his other foot sort of leaning halfway on the wall and pushing the, the scaffold back and forth like a swing, you know. And every time he goes back, he slops it. He goes like that. He is bagged to the teeth. Well, you don't want to admit this, you know. You don't want to admit that, that the guy you're working for who is your girl's father is bagged, you just sort of pretend like that's the way he paints at 3 o'clock in the morning on a Wednesday. You know, he's just like that. He's going like that. Well, he, he, he's, he's getting worse and worse, and about 4 in the morning, he goes, hey, you want a drink? Let's knock off. He thought he was still working with his old friend Emil, you know, and it's just me, this 14-year-old kid. Hey, let's have a drink for God's sake. And he opens the thing and <laughs> passes me this warm, great big, it was about a nine-quart thermos jug. Yeah, I'll have a drink. And I take the thing, you know, and I hold it in my hands, and yeah, oh boy, I'll tell you, I'm telling you, this was either solid gin, I can't tell at this point, I mean, you know, kid, I don't know anything, I'm, I'm, I'm strictly in my Yoohoo phase, and, and uh, I don't know whether it was gin, it smelled like the stuff my old man put in the Graham Page. You know, it, it did. It really did. It's such a fantastic blast. Came out. It smelled exactly like our radiator in the car at about 3 in the morning, you know, Ed, when it's boiling over. Well, that's the way this smelled. And he is slugging this stuff down, you know. I don't know whether it's Xerox or Prestone or what. <laughs> He's knocking it down. And I hold this thing, and I says, well, uh... Uh, and and I, I, I sort of hold it up, and, I, oh, it's just a tremendous fumes coming out. And with that, he saw oh, you're just a kid. You shouldn't drink. You shouldn't drink your kid. <laughs> he suddenly realizes he's got a kid. So he grabs this thing, and he says, oh, you shouldn't drink on the job. You know, never should drink on the job, kid. And he puts the cork back in the, the rubber thing, and he puts the, he's trying to screw the aluminum cap on, and he can't get it on, and he's sort of flubbing around with a cap, and right, I shouldn't drink on a job. a bad thing for a kid to drink on a job. I don't know what's happening to the kids today. They're drinking all the time. The kids are rotten. I never, nobody ever drunk on a job. When I was a kid, you're a kid, you're a rotten kid. And he starts to yell at me that if I ever came over, if you ever come over on See Betty again, I'll kick you right down the stairs, a rotten, rotten drinking kid for crying out loud, a rotten drinking kid. 
And he's putting this thing back, and I'm down there with my paintbrush. What do you mean, rotten drinking? I never drink in my life, and I, said, I don't drink at all. I lie again. I see you sitting there with a jug of gin in your hand, you bum. Get out of here. I don't want no rotten drinking kid around. And he kicked me right off the scaffold, you rotten drinking kid. Get out of here. And he's slapping the paint. I can't do this job myself, you bum. I go out the front door. And I don't drink, you know. What do you mean I don't even lie, you lying bum? You know, you look at kid. I don't care if you drink. It's your own liver. I don't care, you bum. But I don't want you to lie. You don't lie, kid. He slaps some more paint. He goes, put it up like that with a paintbrush. And out into the cold I go at 4 o'clock in the morning. I don't want to hear any more of this, do you? <laughs> oh, you know, uh, of course, education comes in many forms, and, and uh, <laughs> uh, uh, it's a, it's a. It, now, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not insulting painters. If any of you painters out there who don't drink, I know you don't. <laughs> but actually, every painter I ever knew did, and and uh, it's just one of those things. You don't want to have to admit it. Now, uh, on the other hand, oh, gee, it's terrible. I, I, I hate, I hesitate to tell you what plumbers do. That's another crew in time. Bricklayers? Oh, 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 boy. That's until everybody's got his own hang-up. And, and, and every hang-up is a little bit different from the one just before it. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't know. But, but as far as that goes, kid, just, just uh, what you do, you see... <laughs> Take take a look at your old man once, a real close look, see, when he doesn't know you're looking at him. Take a real close look at your old man and, and try to figure out how he got like that. Just once. You try to figure out, you see, you, you, the first thing you got to realize, kid, is that he wasn't always that way. Try to figure out how he got so knot-headed, how he got so nervous, why he keeps practicing his putting and refuses to talk about anything but the bowling. Just take a good long look. Uh, we don't want any kids around there drinking, you lazy, old, lousy, bum, drunk, 